0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovation Podcast. Get ready to download inspiration, knowledge, and resources to cultivate your inner innovator. Welcome back to the Everyday Innovation Podcast. I'm Jordan Devecha, and today we have on Patricia Koselich. I give her a little intro right in the beginning, but Patricia is a social advocate and innovator, playwright and producer, and now a podcaster and life coach. So she is a multi-passionate just like me. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about transitions and how Transitions play such a key role in innovation, not only in your ventures, but also in your personal life, understanding your process, your creative process. And actually, I was just on Patricia's podcast, The Transitions Project, episode 38, and I get to talk about my own personal transition of pregnancy, my pregnancy journey. So at this point, I have not given birth yet, but I will soon. So I will give you all an update on that. But for now, go check out her episode After this one, so that you can listen to a little bit more about my journey. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Again, don't forget to check the show notes. Check out everything that Patricia is up to. And I look forward to hearing what you think about the episode. Enjoy. Okay. I am here with Patricia Kozlitch. So I actually was on her podcast recently. We have had some conversations in the past, and now I'm so excited to have her here today to pick her brain Patricia is a social advocate and innovator, playwright and producer and now a podcaster and life coach. We're so both many titles. I <laughs> have so many titles but guess what? We're both multi-passionate creatives. We are multi-hyphenates. So you're in the right place and we have a deep passion for creativity, life design, entrepreneurship, intersectional innovation. Like this is Where the Nerds Collide is on this podcast specifically for that. So I'm so excited that you're here today. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions before we dive in and we'll get into the context of your background. We'll talk about this whole transition into podcasting and life coaching and what transitions mean to you. And then we'll dig a little bit into your process if that works for you. Perfect. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. So, I wanted to ask you I feel like, as multi passionate creatives, especially people who kind of cross industries and, you know, push themselves in that growth space, I feel like we're always learning. So, is there something you're in particular that you're reading or you're learning about right now that you want to share with the audience?
1: So, I just finished coach training and I'm taking a little bit of a break from a lot of the reading, reading and work Mm -hmm. just to integrate and slow down and Maybe we'll get into that. I'm since in in the transitions world, I'm really into looking at seasons of your life. I feel like I was just in a mm. really explosive blooming springtime of just all of these projects and ideas coming fruition. And now it's time for fall and for slowing down and for getting yeah. some leaves and all of that. So I haven't been doing as much reading in that sense. I've done a little bit more on relationships actually. And like oh, feminine energy wow. and looking like focusing on some personal self things in addition to the work things.
0: Nice. And so when you're going inward, and this can be part of this next question, what are some of your favorite self development practices? So when you're kind of tuning in, reflecting, you know, maybe getting into that cr- more creative spirit or that letting go season, what are some things that you like to do to really tap in?
1: I have been singing and dancing a lot the past couple of days yeah. which I maybe wouldn't have even been super in the space for a month ago but just the last weekend is just I just want to listen to music and sing along and dance and have these epic party like dance parties and then also more things that help with just relaxation and embodiment like gua sha and taking baths and just things that are very restful and recovery based have been really nourishing right now. It sounds like
0: you're very much in the feminine energy right now with the baths and the gua sha and the dancing and the <laughs> yeah. embodiment. I love that. That's a season in and of itself. I think we have those little short seasons of being in that more embodied feminine and which clearly right now I am. If you don't know already, I'm pregnant. So I've definitely been embodied <laughs> very much <laughs> recently. But yeah, that's amazing. I, sometimes you just go through those times where you just need to like, move that energy through your body. So what are you – like, what are you singing and dancing to right now?
1: So I was a musical theater kid, so it's been a lot of Disney songs the past couple of days, but there's a, a mix of other ones. I was – I really liked Natalie Grant. She's a gospel singer. When I was a kid, yeah. she was one of my favorites. And so I've been going yeah. back to some nostalgic artists. Like, I was listening to her. And then Avril Lavigne has some Lime inspired songs, like Head Above Water. Nice. And- warriors. So it's been anthems like that. And it's been a whole thing for me because it may not be the topic of today, but I, you know, I sang a lot and I know you were a musician when you were younger. And, and so I had stopped singing for a long time and my voice was hurting and was very fatigued. And that was why I took a mm-hmm. long break. And so as I've been healing and feeling better, I've been playing with what does it look like to play with this a little bit without doing it in a way that involves a lot of stress. So right. And, yeah. So yeah. No, but it, it was a very emotional experience. Yeah. I literally cried three or four times. It was crazy. And I'm not someone who cries all the time. I was having a moment. It was like an emotional day.
0: <laughs> Honestly, truly, if I really want to get in my feels, as you would say, it's probably going to be singing, playing music, listening to music, dancing, anything where I can move that energy in that creative space, but not as much in that mental plane of maybe writing, for example, or where you're thinking a lot more about the language and the words, you, when you're singing, sometimes you actually are dealing with a lot of the language, but you're dealing with it in a less thoughtful way. You're, it's more like you're singing the lyrics, but you're not necessarily like analyzing the words. So you get, the, you get that really cool experience of... This multi-sensory activation without having to overthink it, if that makes sense. That's what I love about music in general.
1: It's very immersive without thinking very hard. Yeah. So, I so I, I wanted to ask
0: you those just because I always am so curious to see, and I'm so glad that you answered the seasons part of that as well. Because, you know, at any given point, we're always changing. Innovation, I always say, is like a it's like growth mindset in action, whether it's in your business or in your personal life, things are always changing. So you're going to have to find those things that are nourishing to you at any given point. And those are going to change depending on what's going on in your life. But I wanted to set context and influence for what you've been working on recently. So a lot of the pillars that I see for you are these: the social innovation, this creativity and expression, life design. And They've really played a role in where if you're just reading your bio, you're an advocate, you're a playwright, you're a podcaster, you're a life coach, but really there's these thorough lines that go through all of that. So I wanted to touch on the first two first, the advocate and playwright And give a little background of that as we go a little bit deeper into the other two that you've transitioned into recently. So, I know you mentioned Avril Levine and her Lyme journey. So, I just wanted you to share with us. We can, of course, in the show notes, give more of your Lyme background because I know you've been on a lot of podcasts for that. But I wanted to touch on your role as a Lyme advocate and what you work on to bring more awareness to that community.
1: Of course. Thanks, Jordan. So, I did a lot of advocacy and community organizing for other causes when I was younger. and then, and I think we have similar ish backgrounds and being very high achieving, very driven, a lot of ideas, and you're like, you want to do so much sometimes to the point of burnout. And so for me, the burnout intersected with me contracting Lyme disease. and it all happened within about a year of my father passing away too. So it was a crazy time in eleventh grade. and The very short, big picture is that it took eight years for me to receive a diagnosis. And so there was a lot of medical gaslighting and pain during that time. And I had to take a break from advocating and pretty much everything. And then part of my journey back into advocacy was for the first time to advocate for something that I had personally been affected by. And in this case, that was Lyme disease. And it took a while because I had to focus on healing for a while. And I really couldn't do a lot of the outer focused work for years. And when I decided to make that shift, I was graduating from undergrad on my way into grad school for a master's in social innovation. And that program is very geared toward founders and aspiring entrepreneurs, or anyone who wants to make change, particularly in a business context or whatever is most sustainable. So you see a lot of people in the hybrid sector where they're in social enterprises or sometimes mm-hmm. NGOs, you see a variety. And so I knew that I wanted to start something for my capstone project. And I had discovered, since I had done musical theater for a long time, and then symptoms made it difficult to keep performing, I had pivoted – we'll talk about pivoting today – into playwriting instead because it was creative, it allowed me to stay connected to theater in a new way. And I was really interested in applied theater, the intersection of advocacy and theater. And so I said, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to write a play that addresses issues facing the Lyme disease community. And so it's a documentary theater piece. I interviewed patients, doctors, loved ones, advocates, And it's based on those interviews, as well as my own personal story. It's a mix of fiction and nonfiction. And it took about two and a half years to write. And these days, I am the producer for that work. I feel like the thing that I see amongst
0: a lot of people who have dealt with Lyme is just this process that seems to be broken like the whether it's the diagnosis or it's maybe the awareness. How did you see that working as far as bringing it into this creative space was it taking it out of that medical context was it bringing in stories in a way that people could better digest i just find it so innovative in general just to not just to have a different delivery of really helpful and useful information for this community so i'm curious as to what you were what you were thinking or what you would hope the impact would be moving it into kind of more of this creative immersive space that maybe isn't something you would necessarily expect for a medical diagnosis.
1: Right. And so like you touched on, the Lyme disease problem is – it is a tired problem. In many ways, like there are just a lot of systemic issues that we don't need to dive into today. It's just very political. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. And you have a lot of people who don't have access to treatment. It's not affordable. It's often not covered by insurance. People are exhausted. They have often have neurological issues and memory problems and brain fog, and it's just hard to function or do anything. And the really sad part is that often there is a lot of medical gaslighting where doctors and then loved ones don't believe you or don't understand what's happening because it's an invisible illness. You look fine. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean you're not fine? And pe- And that's really hard, like the social isolation that comes from that. People don't believe you. So when I created the play – of course, when you're an idealistic personality and you want to help the world and you have all these ideas, it can be really you know you want you might want to fix it. And realistically like it's not I'm not going to be able to fix the Lyme disease problem, right? And it was interesting being in the context of a social innovation program. I did some pitch competitions, particularly with a social innovation focus. And so there was a lot of design thinking and ideating and iterating different. You know, you do systems mapping and you look at like mapping the problem landscape and the solution landscape and what's already been tried and what's worked and what hasn't. And right. To contribute to that ecosystem and then what's your solution and how is it different and how are you going to test it and collect feedback from your stakeholders and you know, all the things. And so yep. it was really cool being in a program where I got to do that. And I was the only one in the program doing a theater project. So that was also a fun, interesting space. And I was the only only health invisible illness project and the only theater project. So that was unique. and. It was. I wanted to do so many things through it, and the so the title is "The Great Imitator," where a tragedy hosts comedy. That's the tagline. I love and, that. And thank you, thank you. And so, first and foremost, it's really designed to build community, and right. when someone goes, they can experience something, it's different. Like a lot of the events we see for the Lyme community will be lectures on the microbiology of asparagus. And that's not accessible to the average human who is not a medical professional. I could bring my best friend and she might go, she's a really good best friend, but she's not going to walk away with anything concrete that actually helps her understand what I'm going through. And so the intention of this was, oh, a play is something that some people do for fun. Like maybe not everyone, people actually enjoy it sometimes. And and you don't have to have a medical degree to enjoy it. And yeah, and the idea is that we walk in and we see, and I tried to not just show the patient story, but to also show what does it feel like for the mother, for the best friend, Mm -hmm. for, because, because really a tragedy like that doesn't only affect the patient. It is affecting the people who are close to them as well. And like, they have their own unique struggles and journeys with it. And there are ways that, like, if someone's a caregiver, like, that's a journey too, right? And so we often don't pay attention or acknowledge those people and how they're being affected. And so I wanted, as a community, for our little social units, you to, to go to this together as a gathering and then go, oh, I see you in a new way. Right. I feel seen and heard in a new way. And I also can see you in a new way. And that can be very restorative. And it's a lot of work to explain what you're going through with Lyme. Like when I was in the thick of it, I really couldn't, even if someone said, oh, tell me, help me understand, how can I help you? And I couldn't answer it because I was in survival mode. I was overwhelmed. And so part of my thinking was, if I do the hard work of creating this, then someone else who's in that phase can come and then go, oh, that's what I'm experiencing. And it was really interesting because, you know, I had all these ideas to answer your question about like the intentions, to use it to mobilize advocacy. Like I created this community resource guide, all of these ways Mm -hmm. to get involved, everything from slacktivism that takes 30 seconds to five minutes to things that are an ongoing commitment. And I also wanted to fundraise for treatment grants. And, you know, some of those things haven't really scaled or grown yet in the way that I have envisioned and hoped for, maybe they will. And it's it's an exercise in looking at, okay, what's sustainable, what's good life design, what's scalable, like how do we make this happen? And then also celebrating that what it seems to be really effective for is people come and if they've lived it, they go, I just feel so seen and that's so healing. And I wasn't expecting that to come back to me because I felt like I'd largely healed by the time I finished writing it. And the process Mm -hmm. of writing it was very therapeutic in a way. And a lot of my friends started coming back to me and saying, wow, I just had no idea. I knew you then, and I thought I knew what you were going through, but I didn't really know what you were going through. And now that I've seen the play, now I do. And that wasn't my intention. It was like that was my intention for other people who were Mm patients, but then it ended up coming back and giving to me just like three to four years after I was in the really hard part.
0: That it, It's so beautiful the way that you're phrasing that because I do think that no matter what we do, and when I say venture, sometimes it's not necessarily just business. It's also creative ventures. It's community ventures. It's things within your family or even just the general decisions that you make that are intentional in growing and, and even in your own personal development, a lot of the time – the act of doing it is so much more healing for the person than even you would tend for a certain impact. But a lot of the impact is reflected back to you, which is so beautiful and why I do believe that impact really is kind of a conversation or a, it's not about the thing or what you're doing. It's also about what is the conversation that's now being had. And it seems that you were getting a lot of, even if it maybe wasn't the feedback of the dollars or the this many signups or this many people signing up to go and, you know, be the street team. I'm not saying that's what you were doing, but it went, how people would measure success or dollars or whatever that might be that you were getting a whole lot of feedback on just people feeling seen or acknowledged. And from what I'm hearing, the main problem was being seen or acknowledged. So you achieved that, which is incredible. And I think sometimes, We don't always acknowledge the things that really get down to the core issue. And what's really cool is you get to – a lot of the things that we get to choose to do, whether, again, in life, in community, in business, they're an opportunity for us to develop ourselves and to – like every entrepreneur knows it's a self-development game too. (laughs) So no matter what you're doing, creative project, the creative process, you end up no matter what you're doing, you end up innovating anyway because you're getting that feedback and you're growing as a person by doing the things. You had graduated from your from your master's. I remember, I think it was the last time we spoke, you were like, I'm in this transitional period. I'm really curious as to what kind of drew you into this transitional space or how would you define like the liminal space and how did that draw you in as opposed to this is so interesting to me because i'm either going through it or i'm seeing a lot of people going through transitions at this point what inspired that like deep dive into that
1: i'll get to the personal piece in a moment as far as how i see liminality it is that life is transition and we are constantly experiencing change like we might think oh it's constant we can be stable and like life is always changing we we're always mm-hmm. growing and changing And even if we want to get really nerdy, like things are usually growing or decaying. They're not staying the same. And so I went through so many events in my life, both big wins and some traumatic pieces, and learned that, you know, so many things would happen. And so I made a fairly conscious decision in my early 20s to start – you know, you hear about embracing discomfort and Mm -hmm. embracing change. And I was more of a planner by natural orientation. And I went, okay, there are a lot of things out of my control. Chronic illness especially puts a lot of things out of your control. And so I said, I can sink or swim. I can learn to adapt and embrace this and ride the waves or I can be crushed by them. I guess I'd rather do it in style. So I'm going <laughs> to learn to embrace change and make it my beep out some words.
0: <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you can say whatever. You can say whatever you want. She was trying to say bitch.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go. I'll get it for you. <laughs> and so I Okay, and then the personal piece about why I launched the podcast at the time that I did. So Side note, friends had – I send a lot of voice notes to my friends and people's boyfriends started saying, oh, what podcast are you listening to? And then the friend would go, oh, that's my friend so-and-so. they <laughs> went, oh, do a podcast. It sounds like one. And so, yep. and so they planted the idea and I started thinking about it and I went, you know, that would actually – so as a multi-passionate, multi-hyphenate person – You know, I tend to go through these cycles of I'll become really passionate about an idea and I'll be really passionate about that one thing for one to two years. And then it reaches Mm -hmm. this sort of natural completion feeling. And then I want to move on to something different. And I thought, what's a creative project that could grow and change with me and evolve with me that I maybe could possibly never outgrow and it it can just continue on? I thought, okay, a podcast about transitions – is something that's specific enough yet broad enough that I could see myself doing this potentially for the rest of my life. Oh, welcome to my life. That's basically
0: how I decided to study innovation because I was like, that could grow into any space. That could go anywhere. See, we're le- we're thinking life design. We're thinking about <laughs> we're thinking ahead because I'm sure I know both of us probably within a year or two would be like how am I supposed to talk about this anymore? And it's like, now we have limitless opportunities to, to chat about it. Thank
1: you for sharing that. Thank you. And it's funny that you went through that process too, because I thought, what could I not become bored of? Well, a podcast about transitions, change, and creativity, that would be something I could stay engaged with. And I heard, I listened to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. It's another podcast. She's actually in mm-hmm. I think as well. And she was saying in her Episode reflecting on what it's been like creating 200 episodes. She goes, "This is my longest-standing creative project as a multi-hyphenate creative person, and mm-hmm. I haven't gotten tired of it." And I went, <laughs> "Exactly where I started." Mine. That's
0: the goal. That's the goal. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. Like, I think probably everything that I have started to design over time recently has been with that thought in mind. Not will I abandon it because it's just how can I design a space where i can create impact and then continue to evolve that without having to feel that sense of disappointment or failure or let down but how can we have the tie in of the process or the concept or something that bridges you know again that follows us in the intersections
1: <laughs> and something that's interesting about podcasting is i feel like it is very process oriented and the creating a podcast is very different than creating a play for example because a play is more like a book You can spend a lot of time creating it and then someday there is a final draft or a draft that you say, okay, I could keep editing this for the rest of my life, but I'm stopping now. And this is it in its full form. Whereas, and there is a little bit more of a bent toward perfection and fine art and it could be more Mm -hmm. warm, that space. Whereas in podcasting, it really doesn't need to be perfect and you're creating, it's much more conversational and fluid and I'm releasing episodes every week and have been for, I don't know, um, not quite a year, but since March. So it's been a while. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I feel like that's a great real life, tangible way of practicing testing and iterating ideas. It's a great way to test out content and self-expression and see what lands and what feels good. And even to work out ideas through the process of making it. So it's, Actually, great when you think about a design thinking approach to life.
0: Absolutely. And you also, yeah, you get to go through that iterative experience much more quickly. You know, it's those things where you can start to play with those ideas without it having to be something that you're like you were saying, like in fine art, you're overly editing or you would have to script way ahead of time or you would have to schedule all the filming to do for a short film or a movie, which you're iterating as you go, but at the same time, there's only so much you can really do and change at any given point because you have to have a little bit more of a plan. And you also get again that like community feedback, but I just find it a very efficient way of getting some really great conversations out into the world.
1: That's super smart. And I want to add something about life design. Yeah. The podcast. So I was doing all of this Lyme advocacy and that had become a big part of my life. And I think the identity that others put on me where I started to be seen as the Lyme girl. And Mm -hmm. that was useful to a point in that it allowed others to connect with me and then introduce me if they go, oh, I have a friend or a cousin or a neighbor – and they're struggling. Let me introduce you. And I love that, of course. Like I love connecting. And then at the same time, I did start to feel pigeonholed a little bit. And, you know, you hear right. a lot of times with any kind of invisible illness or disability how they go, okay, I'm not my sickness. Like I'm a whole person with personality and interests. And this is just a right. thing that happens to me. And so I started right. to experience a little bit of that. And it, I did become a little frustrated because I went, okay, I have a lot of interests and creative pieces of who I am that... Uh, also were maybe taken away for a little bit because I wasn't healthy enough to pursue them. And so as I healed, I wanted to reclaim that and say, oh, I'm reclaiming what I want to do in addition to who I want to be. And so I thought, okay, how can I branch out? Because I didn't want to leave the Lyme community behind. Some people do as they reach remission. And I think that's a very valid choice in terms of what you need to do for your own boundaries. I just said, okay, for me, I'd like to I'd like to stay connected. And I also want to branch out and branch beyond because I am a whole person beyond this. And so right. I said, How can I do that? And at the same time, I was starting to really feel better. And as I was feeling better, you know, I went through a lot of work of grieving and accepting chronic illness and learning to live with it right. and letting go of maybe what no longer served me and even. Learning to be okay with certain limitations. And then, actually, as I healed, I went, Oh, this is really strange. I'm now these limitations don't serve me anymore. And what would it look like to be myself without Lyme disease? What if this doesn't affect my life the way it used to? Who am I now? And, like, right. we, you know, I thought so much about the transition from able bodied to sick. And then I went, What if I go from sick to able bodied? That I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. (laughs) Right. It actually involves a lot of uncertainty, even though it was something that I for a long time. There was so much uncertainty, and I actually felt really overwhelmed. And I went, this is what I want. It's a good thing. I just feel confused (laughs) because I was sick from roughly age 16, nearly more like age 14, until about 26. So the entirety of most of my teens and then all of my early adulthood was largely defined and influenced by being sick. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I have yet to experience what it's like to be a healthy adult. Who am I as a healthy adult without this thing that's been looming over my life? And so I actually really struggled with that and felt a little nervous. And like I say in my current podcast description says, I felt like a fearful little fish out of water because I just felt so out of my element and confused. And I thought, okay, I want to branch out. I know a lot of really cool people like powerhouse advocates and entrepreneurs and just impact leaders, really cool, creative people. And I said, okay, I know most of them have been through something really hard, but they may not talk about it publicly. I wanted to go and move into this post-traumatic growth rather than talking about what happened. I wanted to talk about how did you move forward after it happened? Like When the tiger is chasing you, then what? Right. And also, how do you – and there's also the – you know, we often hear these stories of triumph and overcoming. I mean, we may not talk about the awkward middle stuck phase where you just don't know what you're doing. right? So Exactly. I really wanted to get into that. And so I said, okay, I can interview and talk to guests who have not just been through chronic illness. It will include guests with chronic illness, and it could be any variety of other things. Like at this point, I've had guests who are survivors of domestic abuse or – Maybe they've had – there are just so many different things a person can go through. I, for me, I like the diversity and the variety of life experiences and types of people. And It's something that doesn't discriminate, really can
0: happen at any stage of life. It's just something we really aren't exempt from, and the way that we navigate it, our I think really it speaks again to like our process and how life design like intersects with that. And, you know, it was so interesting earlier you were talking about systems, right? You're looking at these frameworks and with, I had this conversation actually in a mastermind recently about how much more creative we are sometimes with systems. And it doesn't seem like a... Yummy thing for people who are creative. So be like systems, ew, what? But systems aren't necessarily, oh, let me go ahead and map out every single thing. Like you may be doing in some sometimes in design thinking being one of the one of the tools that I think does bridge that gap very well, a bridge that space very well. But a lot of times it ends up being something as simple as our routines or something as simple as really cultivating our network. So these things that we can lean on and get support from our community these are all systems that we partake in it, the conversations we have the the ways in which we reflect after something happens i think that's probably one of the most underutilized skills in the world is after something happens or after we finish something or after a conversation we have that's either great or it's troubling it doesn't even matter the context of it there's a, sometimes a lack of, okay, what did I learn from that or you know, what can I do going forward? And instead we pro- we don't process it and we just hold on to it or it becomes something that ends up turning into maybe a limiting belief or turns into a something a little bit more insidious that it probably doesn't even really need to be. So as you were moving into this new identity space, it wasn't just about, you know, okay, what do I what am I gonna do for work after I graduate <laughs> or whatever? It's it was like, who do I want to be? Post grad, post, or even post moving out of chronic illness, or the identity of holding on to this. I know that you were looking not only at the the podcasting as a way to have that impact and express and work on something meaningful and creative, but you also were looking, I know, into being able to do a lot more impact one on one with people in the coaching. So I'm curious to see how those kind of intersected and what the transitional period meant for you.
1: Thank you for picking up on all of that. So the podcast and the coaching definitely are designed to complement each other. And the podcast, it's cool because it's almost like a form of market research. Of course, it is different doing a recorded public interview compared to a one-on-one confidential interview. People are a little bit differently. But it is a sustainable way to really continue learning about people and how they handle so many life transitions, which will inform my coaching practice. And it's, right. I get to be curious about so many life stages. I feel like it gives me a chance to connect much more deeply to the human experience and mm-hmm. so many different parts of the cycle. Like I plan to do more on we so teaser for your episode. It's Ooh. the creative process of becoming a mother and that gestational process of being pregnant. And that's a really important part of the life cycle. And I have an episode with Mark Way on becoming a father for the first time and what it's like with a new baby and a toddler and adjusting to that. And so there's, you know, there's birth, there's new life, and then there are episodes on grief and unfortunately on death. And I plan to do more on that and on illness. And then there's everything about career and on pivoting, starting a new business, ending a business searching majors, accomplishments, or failures, and recovery of different kinds, whether it be addiction or something else that happened, right? And so I feel like it allows me to connect to so many parts of just the life cycle and much more deeply to it, which is a really beautiful thing to be intentional about. I feel like such a Capital T Truth, you know, cliche literary person, but it's like, what is the human experience, right? And so, right, right, that, you know, if you're a life coach, that's all very relevant. Yes, and yes, super relevant. And so, for me, I launched a group coaching program. Actually, it started three weeks ago. It's all super new, and it's called Your Next Chapter, and it's about navigating new seasons of your life and how do you be really intentional about who you are, who you're becoming your support systems, your support practices, and how are you testing and iterating your own life and collecting feedback and being compassionate with yourself. And just, you know, I, you and I are both very achievement-oriented people. We like to do right. a lot of things. And so it can be a learned skill to say, okay, how do I keep doing and do it in a way that feels good that I can keep up with and maintain my health in the process? So – Great. Right getting excited and carried away. But that's
0: part oh, No, that should be a sign that you're moving into a space that is really sustainable for you because that kind of energy management is such a big piece of it. I think that's probably what I learned the most from being in the sustainability sector was much less about the actual resources themselves and the environment and the climate, but really understanding what does sustainability mean for me or my life or someone else's life or their process and is something that's not sustainable, really something that you need to continue doing. And that's a huge part of innovation is that kind of letting go. And I'm curious when you bring, when you have people coming into this process and we can dig into your, not just, I want to talk about your coaching process. And I also want to talk about your innovation process in general, because that's probably going to be similar but slightly nuanced because there's an approach to people and there's an approach to like how you work through a problem or work through things. So we'll get into that. But I'm very curious going into your coaching process. um, First of all, as a life coach, how would you define that? What exactly for you does it mean if someone is saying that you're their life coach? What are you helping them with in their life?
1: So foundationally, I believe that the client has the answers within them and I'm just there Mm -hmm. to guide and ask questions and help them uncover what's best for them because at this point, I don't often believe that giving someone advice is always the best approach. There's a time and a place when consulting can be very useful, but if I tell them what to do, that may not be the right answer for them. We might have slightly different cultural contexts and views and what I think is best for me based on my personality and strengths may not be what's best for them. So it's really like more process-oriented of helping them figure that out for themselves. And as far as focus or niche, for me, I'm really passionate about working with especially creatives and entrepreneurs and artists mm-hmm. and act-focused individuals who have a lot of ideas, want to make a difference, and then looking at right. – hey, like i'm going to connect with someone easily who ha- is a kindred spirit in terms of they're very creative and driven and so there's often a big piece about understanding preventing or recovering from burnout and it's like how do i you know we t- you talked about systems and structure and especially if you are very creative we often are averse to structure i've been there mm-hmm. and then you and i actually systems that was my intention my word for the year in 2020 Which is, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was such a thing of, okay, like, how can I go from this loosey goosey, unstructured, I need creative flow to figuring out what's the container that I need? And so at this, and I'm constantly testing and shifting this around to go, okay, what's working for me in this season? What's working for me with this project and for this new level of capacity in my life? And I found that having one flow day a week really helps. One day with your plans no structure. I get to just do whatever I want on my own impulsive whim and spontaneity and you know all the things. But then a lot of the, I have like intentions for other days. This day, I do a lot of meetings. This day, I do a lot of this kind of work. This day, I do these kinds of, you know, and I need that structure and I'll create systems of accountability, like joining a group or something where like I'll create deadlines because when you work for yourself, there are often no deadlines, but with no deadline. Right. And I've learned too, rather than doing it all at once, Okay. This isn't even your question anymore. Do you
0: mind? <laughs> it's fine. No, that's totally fine. No, it's good because it's all related, but I got you. I got I'm you.
1: On a, I'm <laughs> not your path here. I'm meandering around. So I would, recovering from perfectionism, I realized, okay, I need to, because I, I had a tricky relationship with deadlines. I went, okay, I need to find ways yeah. to create checkpoints or deadlines that maybe the goal isn't even perfection. It's just like a a guidepost. It's like a marker on the hike where you go, we right, need to hit this many more miles and this many more miles, and do it in a way that feels good and isn't too stressful or overwhelming for me. So right. that's something that I can help people with, and I see it with prospective clients and with clients where they want to. They go, I don't know, I have all these ideas and I want to do all these things, and oh, but I need to learn to be gentle with myself. And I'm going, Yes, I know, <laughs> I know you need to. Yeah, do that. I know you You're do. <laughs> I know, and I can help you with that. And so anyway, I the training that I have. Is It was through Inner Glow Circle. You had Katie DePaula, the founder of that, on your podcast previously. I had Katie as
0: a guest back. I think it was the fourth episode, and she was talking about a lot. She spoke a bit more about her journey with Lyme and then also losing her brother and talking about how that kind of transmuted into this creative healing process of writing a book. So we talked a little bit, I do believe, about the coaching, but it was a lot more focused on- her particular like creative process and like taking that pain into a new space, which is how I connected with you as well. <laughs> so yeah, so so you did Inner Glow Circles program, right? And so I actually met her through Girl Boss, and that's how we met was because we had gone on a retreat and we had met each other in Colorado and hung out, and then just kept in touch. And by having her in that network, I was able to watch. Her story unfold and move into this new space.
1: And the reason I bring her up and that program is, so I did an ICF accredited program. So I'm in the process of logging my hours that I need to finish that ICF credential. And that approach is very, like the ICF approach to coaching is very much open-ended questions and guiding. This coming year, I actually will most likely do an organic intelligence coach certification which will take about for okay. nine months. It's going to be a long process. And that's for nervous system retraining. because, for, oh, okay. And I'll layer that into my coaching as I become trained and qualified in it because I believe that the nervous system is so foundational to so much of what we experience and really – in order to really have transformational change and really move forward and become unstuck in our lives, I believe that supporting and working with the nervous system can make a world of difference. So I'm really excited to run right. in as well and layer in more creative coach pieces. Like, you know, it's all going to fit together and emerge and it's all a process.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm curious as to not just about your process, but your process in coaching, but also when you were coming up with this particular program, because now this is, this is a cohort, right? This is mm-hmm. a group coaching program. Yeah. Okay. So how did you come up with – because I know this was coming – not too long out of your certification too correct how did you come up with this idea not only for the group coaching but just like how you were going to clearly the transition piece was going to play into that but how did you come up with your next chapter and put together the design for how you would take people through how long is the program it's a three-month program. Three months. Okay. So, how that? How would? How did you go about like ideating on this particular program as a vehicle to start sharing some of your coaching knowledge to create this community and to bring them through an actual program that is taking kind of your knowledge in a more, I would say, you know, productivized, but not exactly productivized, but community space, so that you could create, you know, a cohesive experience for your group.
1: So I chose three months because. In in our coach training, actually, they talked about three months is kind of a foundational amount of time to really see meaningful, lasting change. It's like they say three months is, you know, anything less than that is not as much. But three months, you go, okay, we really start to see some change in three months. And then you can also do a six-month program, but that's a much bigger commitment. So I thought, okay, three months seems like a good starting amount of time. And… The concept of it, it was something that I really love, is that this particular cohort falls in the fall. It started on September first, yeah. and it concludes on December fourteenth, right before the ho- you know the craziness of the holidays. And right. so I love that it's happening in a very season. Like we're very connected to the idea of seasons. During yes. this time, so that'll be fun. And yes. the future cohorts, I have to think about how is that going to fall with the seasons. But I think a spring cohort and a fall cohort could be very interesting.
0: You think of sometimes with if you want to parallel with any sort of classes or education, a lot of times you think of like semesters or quarters or whatever that might be, and that's something that people feel connected to and the kind of seasons of learning
1: that you have as well. Yeah, it, it definitely does with the semester system. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> the your next chapter—it's interesting. So. I actually did a podcast episode probably a year and a half ago about the Mm -hmm. art of telling your story on In It Together back when I was co hosting for them. Speaking of iterating, like I was, I co hosted for In It Together by Write Out Line before I started my own podcast. And that was a way of testing do I like hosting a podcast? And yeah, yeah. Anyway, this art of telling your story was all about, you know, how do you go through the creative process of writing a book or telling your story in another format? and while that's not the fo- the current focus of my coaching it, that idea resonated with me a lot of taking writing language and imagery as a metaphor or a symbol for designing your right. life so that's part yeah. of where your next chapter comes from is thinking about creating what's next and like creative and i found that like i was attracting folks who were also creative writers by no means are the majority of my clients all creative writers, but they're just some of the people that circle around my little network, my pool of people. Right. And I thought, well, this is fun, right? We're excited about the idea of creating a new chapter. And that honestly, a lot of it was based on, I felt like I was in a new chapter and I was excited. And I, what's really interesting about this program is that it's going to be best for someone who's in a period of a lot of change. and. It, that could be they're going through a really hard time and they're in survival mode and like they're maybe they were maybe just diagnosed with a chronic illness or maybe they are. There's a divorce or a separation, like there or grief or something, and it could also be, oh my gosh, I just got through the most exciting win ever, and I, you know, I'm free from this thing, or I created this thing, and I'm so, I'm like, what's next? And what am I doing now? So I was like, wow, this is interesting because this program we can have cohort members who are having a, either a really hard time or a really great, easy, awesome time, and I was like, right, but the process can actually be similar of saying right. what now. What kind of systems will I put in my life, and how do I be intentional about that? And I think it'll be really interesting to see, so like this cohort. I feel like it's the perfect group to be together. Like the way that they for right. each other, the synergy. I'm like, wow, this feels like I, I honestly prayed so much. I was like, please just guide the right people into this that I'm meant to serve that are like are meant to be here because. Sometimes when you take on something new, it can be really scary and overwhelming because you go, "I don't even know how to yeah. roll this." Just if you have any kind of spirituality, send help. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. And, and it, it's one of those things that, especially when
0: it's the first like few times, or it's a different set of people, or if it's a different number of people, there. I, just as you were saying, the certain nervous system regulation that you have to like pull into. So when you have people who are already starting to click and align, that can let you breathe in and just. Do your thing as opposed to like having to manage as much. So I always feel like there's there's such a gift that comes in with just who you end up attracting in or who comes in at the last minute or who maybe even drops out at the last minute. There's just this amazing divine outside of ourselves that just pulls the correct people that you need at this time for yourself too, to learn about this stage of the process.
1: And it's interesting you bring that up about who who joins or who drops out. And I feel – and I've yeah. been thinking about this a lot lately with social plans. I go, I feel like I'm just trusting. I'm like, I feel like the people that were meant to be there were there. And yep. it just works out in these unusual, unexplained ways where you're like, that person canceled and that person canceled. But it allowed this really divinely timed interaction between these two people. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I'm like, I'm just trusting totally. that whoever's meant to be there is going to be there.
0: Totally. And so when you're talking about this, the next chapter, what is the experience as you're going into this about like the conversation of letting go? So I'm curious because you were talking about that fall and winter, and this is your first one. So is there some conversation on that? Or do you have any advice for people out there who are maybe holding on to some things that maybe they should let go?
1: So I believe that clearing space is really important. And so we actually did that Two weeks ago in our program, Mm -hmm. and what was so interesting is, I feel like it that didn't seem as I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but it didn't seem like it landed as deeply with my clients as I had been anticipating. Because for me, I was like, "Yeah, face is foundational; like it's so important." Yeah, for me, when I go through big changes and transitions, I will clean a lot. Yeah, and for me, that very consciously helps me feel it's part of my process of letting go, right. moving forward. And so I've been going through a bunch of old papers and recycling and went through my entire closet earlier this year and just all these, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I remember talking to some of my clients who were like, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a practice that until
0: you have to do it probably, or you were forced to do it, sometimes you could probably get away with not doing it for a little while. But then once you do it, you're like, ooh, this is now something I might need. But I'm not sure if that is for everyone. But I do see, I do see benefit in just like when you're trying to look for new opportunities, the less that you have the distractions of, you know, maybe outdated, energetic ties to things, whether it's people or physical items or old identity things. And I'm also might be a little extreme too, because I tend to like a lot of change at once.
1: (laughs) I can relate with that. And I, you know, I'm a, I've learned to believe and support tiny changes and habits over time. I read atomic habits in 2020, my systems year. Like I was, yeah, I'm embracing atomic habits and these tiny changes and you know, the science of how habits shift. Right. And a lot of that is the accumulation over time, the compound effect. And at the same time, I do love radical change all at once sometimes. They're like, let's just overhaul it all. So fun fact, I used to donate my hair a lot. Like every three years, I would cut off about 14 inches. And it was, yeah. and I loved shocking people, like super long hair to super, super short hair, like a pixie cut. And everyone's like, oh my yep. God. And it's just, yep. oh, but it's just so fun. It's so entertaining. And so this year, I, at the beginning of the year, I said, okay, I believe in slow, sustainable change. And also right now I'm just feeling like I just want to blow the lid off everything. I want to change all the things at once. I am to mm-hmm. start my podcast. start my business. I'm like, just, it's all, everything's going to change. And yep. it's fun. It's fun to be in those seasons. And where on earth is I going with this? Change. We love change.
0: But again, this is why we do well, because you have a whole podcast on change. Does it have to be big change or little change? It's all change. Innovation can be disruptive. It could be tiny little things that you do every single day. These are all things that are very valid. It doesn't have to be at a specific scope. And again, it doesn't have to be a specific scope at any point in your life. Sometimes we need to crawl step by step, painful step by step, I'm sure as you know, through even chronic illness, whatever. It's the Sometimes it's just those painfully tiny little steps forward that just get you into that next space. And then sometimes it's and again, blowing the lid off of something, or you almost need to have that radical identity shift to move forward. So it again, as in coaching, really depends on the process. So as your, so what exactly happens in your program? Are you doing like weekly calls? Is it coaching? Is it, are you
1: talking about specific topics? I'm just curious. We do weekly group calls. Uh-huh. And then they also this cohort and this might change next one, speaking of iterating. Yeah. They have three one-on-one calls with me, which is about once a month. And okay. then we also have a group Telegram channel and one-on-one MacFest. Yes. So they can voice message me, which is something that I like. You know, maybe in therapy you don't see that so much. And that's a different kind of relationship and different context. And I think with coaching, right. it's nice that you can have those touch points and support of just check-ins of oh, here's a question or here's a win or here's this. And it also allows for some accountability of just saying, hey, you know, you could send me a message to celebrate when you finish blah, blah, blah commitment that you made. Right. And so that's the structure. And something I want to share a quote that goes back to something you just said reminded me of one of my favorites. It's by Martin Luther King Jr. And it's, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl but whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. I love that. Have you heard that one?
0: I have. It's been a while and I'm so glad because I wanted to ask you your favorite quote and you got ahead of me. That's probably one of our key aspects that we agree on is I think there is this level of even no matter what, there's just this moving forward and this wanting to get just a little bit better, do a little bit better for the community, do a little bit better for your podcast listeners, do a little bit better for yourself and this given time or your client, or like you just said, like you were like with a disclaimer that I may iterate this. And honestly, it's on brand for us because (laughs) we're in in a transitions, change, next chapter innovation space. We do like to iterate. We change. We like to navigate that and help other people navigate that. We have to continue doing that ourselves. And we can set that up for the community as well and say, look, there are going to be some things that change and that's okay. And this is how we can navigate that together. And Going back, I love the whole voice note aspect because these are the little things that you think that they're little, but they're not. They start to inform you, right? It's your experience of that's your way of communicating with your friends in your daily life, the way that it's natural for you to speak on something and give it, ad- advice in that way, consult, a coach in that way. So if you're doing that with your friends and it's a space that makes it easier for you, that the podcast totally makes sense. The coaching totally makes sense with the voice notes, with them being able to respond to you in the same way that you would want to respond to them totally makes sense. It's the little things I think people get too much in their heads on like strategy and over designing, but really, like voice notes are like a key part to all of your systems, right? And that's the easiest way for me to communicate with people. So that was just a little thing I picked up from yours. It's a great lesson in just like your own introspection of what works for you and your systems. So then how do you, just to take one more peek into your process, how do you gather feedback and iterate that into your process as you're, what are you hoping to do also as well, maybe in whether it's your podcast or in this group coaching program, how do you plan on getting feedback from your community and bringing that into your space?
1: That's a great question. And I'm still figuring those systems out because they're both pretty new ventures, but I think I have yeah. systems in place for how I evaluate myself and my personal growth. Like I do quarterly reviews right. of myself and I do monthly check-ins of myself. And I think like that system is, you know, I've been doing it for a couple of years. Whereas the group program where we haven't even finished our first month. So right. right now the feedback is really just seeing, okay, when do my clients seem most engaged? Am I receiving notes from them? What's going on? but it's not the most structured. And of course, at the end, I will be asking for feedback, you know, for testimonials and also like things they would improve or wish to to see different in the future. And I'll probably do something like that midway through because it seems a little silly to, you know, often we only collect feedback, a lot of like a lot of jobs and a lot of things that make you do a survey in the middle or or whatever, but like right, right. will some things before they're done. So I'll do something. And then also for the podcast, you know, it's interesting that you would ask right now because I just within the last month or two started thinking, okay, it feels like time for a change. I want to evaluate the content I'm creating and if I want right. to a slightly different approach because I've been doing it for a little while now. I'm up to more than 35 episodes and so I want to think about, okay, what is it time for a slightly different creative take on this and I'm actually right. meeting with someone later today and we're going to talk about it a little bit and I'm figuring out, okay, how do I ask because I might even honestly post on social media and say and – Yeah, yeah hey, what are your favorite episodes and why? Or what do you like most about them? And you know, it's interesting because people – I think I have great interviews and great guests. I have had some people recently say, I just really love your solo episodes. Can you do more of those? I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do more. Yeah. We're figuring it out. Yeah. And the thing is with feedback too, I think
0: it's just having those channels that are open. So if you tend to use social media a lot, it's putting something up or pulling some people or You know what's a favorite episode? Is a lot of times we'll get feedback, and we have to be very discerning of what actually is actionable or even worth doing because sometimes it's not sustainable for us. So even though sometimes your community may want this or that, there may be some consideration of that, but you can't necessarily even at that point do something you know in that space because it's not sustainable for you, or maybe it's not in your longer term vision. So it doesn't mean you have to just ask for feedback and be like, okay, now I gotta take this, even though as much as you know, we would love to do that for everyone. I think people will, again, creatives, I feel like sometimes get a little nervous. Okay, feedback? What are you talking about? Don't tell me, <laughs> don't tell me you don't like that. You know, and I think is that's honestly probably one of the biggest tools for growth and innovation is literally just like having a one-on-one chat with someone and asking a few extra questions. It doesn't have to be anything that's even constructive criticism. It's just opening the door to seeing,
1: okay, so based on what I'm seeing here, what could I change next? Jordan, you bring up some really strong points and I want to add to it. So you mentioned how it can be hard to receive feedback and especially for someone who's really attached or almost married to their creative ideas, whether it's their business Mm -hmm. venture or their artistic project. I've seen it a lot. You see it in pitch competitions when people are definitely critiqued and you see it. I remember even in my playwriting class, you know, we say, Oh, like there was actually a rule when we did a reading of someone's play. You, the two questions were, what did you like most? What was most impactful about this piece? And uh-huh. what was, un- what, if anything was unclear? Yeah. And those were the only two questions and it was very open-ended and the playwright was not allowed to speak. They were not allowed to respond. They had to just listen because yeah. we get defensive or we try to explain. It's like, oh, no, there's juice here. Because even if your creative idea is the most brilliant thing ever, it's important to know, is the audience receiving that? Because right. maybe it's not coming across the way you wanted and the idea itself is brilliant. and So it's important to learn to not take that personally, and it can be really hard to not take it personally. And something that I want to add is when you are – because it's okay to be a little sensitive sometimes, and it can be a learned skill. I've worked on this, is when am I ready to receive more constructive criticism, and when am I not? And being very conscious about how I communicate and set boundaries and also invite – because I used to – say, oh, you know, I didn't have as much personal power and confidence and self-trust. I I think self-trust was big. And so I'd be open to opinions from others. And then often I started to learn, okay, even though they're a smart or good, well-intentioned person, they're actually not the person to speak to this particular problem because they're not in the inner circle for this industry or for this personal issue. And so I really don't want to be inviting them into that and it's too much noise. And so I start. and there are a lot of other things going on there too. And so I started learning to, first of all, just by showing up with more confidence and more self-trust and being clearer and communicating, this is what I'm creating. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm doing. I wasn't seeing it as hesitantly and that invited, naturally invited less criticism and questions from other people because of just me saying, this is what I'm doing. And I would. Let's say that I, first of all, I just found I was receiving less criticism when I showed up with that. Also though, right. sometimes I would go, okay, I want to know what's going on, but I'm not really ready to receive feeling attacked. <laughs> I, right, I, I, right, right. I was like, if I don't have the capacity for that today, I maybe only ask, oh, what's your favorite part or what's resonating with you most? And I would only right. ask positive questions. And that's still yeah. valuable feedback because yes. even if they're not telling you what's not working, By telling you what's working, you know what to amplify and focus on more. And that's more of a positive psychology approach. And you can do a lot with that.
0: I think this helps with resilience too and change even. The how, the what tend to fade in importance once you can start to see. So what am I trying to do here? You're doing actually in your coaching and in your podcasting very similar things. Um, The medium you're very attached to because you love it and you love doing it. But if it had to change the next day, but you still got to do the same sort of thing, you probably would still be very happy. And that's what's really cool about sometimes getting feedback is being like, yes, the thing matters. And yes, I put a lot of hard work into this. But at the same time, this is like a free moving you know, entity or thing or way of transmitting this information. Really, it's me having a conversation with somebody else about – Something I love, and this is my way of doing it. So, if somebody is like, This is my way that I like to do it, you can have some fun and be like, Okay, can we put both ways together? (laughs) Can we, can I take a little bit of that? Or, you know, maybe that's not my thing. And that actually does, like you said, it can help your confidence when you can sit in the face of some criticism. And say, wow, I respect that. But no, no, I appreciate it because you're giving me a gift by giving me the feedback as opposed to just, you know, blowing it off or not really caring too much. And it takes a lot of courage
1: and vulnerability to offer feedback, right? So, yes, there's a lot. Yes. There's, I'm, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, wow, this is such a juicy topic. That could be a whole episode about how do you, <laughs> yes, collect, create, receive, solicit feedback. And there's so much gray because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, place for boundaries and then also for humility and for listening and for receiving and honoring and hearing and maybe and sometimes you integrate and sometimes you don't and discerning uh, is this about my ego or is it about something
0: bigger or like yeah there's so much going on like where do you have a boundary for getting feedback on that next chapter and where do you and tune in more to yourself and then when is it good to maybe actually get out of your own head and get some feedback from other people so depending on what the transition is how much do you listen to other people's feedback and how much do you not because that's an important distinction and then in innovation you know typically it's very encouraged to get a lot of feedback but at the same time there's the there is the discernment there of one you know am I like you were saying am i a good vessel to receive this right now is this the correct source how can I look at this maybe how is there a way that I could detach for a moment and just take it in as if it were you know, Just random data coming in, you know, and just, you know, sit with it and say, wow, this created a really cool puzzle for me to put together. So now when I take feedback from many places and not just from that one person, you know, this creates a whole little picture for me. And actually, I'm doing really well. And then the human element of being able to ground and when can I integrate versus not? And you have to know that about yourself. So you're not putting yourself and your nervous system (laughs) in dysregulation by, you know, just asking for things because you feel like you have to.
1: And you said, so I was thinking, I want to add this. And I was like, oh, Jordan just covered it. Oh, great. She covered that too. Like, it's so good. (laughs) And so that piece of discernment, and I think what it boils down to is also the more grounded you are and the more in touch with your intuition, the easier it will be to feel clear and to sort through do I take this on and integrate this or do I let it go? Like a passing cloud, like in meditation. Oh, just let the thought be a passing cloud. It's like let's so passing cloud. Mm-hmm. Or am I gonna put this in my toolbox? And right, by really grounding, it becomes easier to see when which one it is.
0: And the toolbox aspect is a huge piece of navigating change and also integrating things. As you get that feedback, it's the loop that goes back in. And as you start anything new, whether it's a totally new venture or it's just iterating on something you're already working on, that. Great advice goes into the toolbox along with the podcasts that you're listening to, the reading, the coaching that you're getting. You know, you have your community support system. Like these are all things that you're just adding to your little knowledge bank, your little toolbox, your little foundational set of things that you get to collect throughout life or let go of throughout life. Right. So that's why I feel like we're such kindred spirits in that we love to help people add to their toolbox of things that they can use so they can iterate and go through that process more quickly and navigate change better. But anyway, I don't want to keep you too long, but I wanted to thank you so much for you coming on. I feel like we both started to align more directly with our multi-passionate, creative, maybe a little bit systems-oriented, you know, hybrid personalities in our own spaces. And I think it's really cool. And I'm so glad that I've been able to have this conversation with you. So I just want to know where can we find you? How can people work with you? And where should they stay tuned for maybe their the next chapter of your next chapter?
1: <laughs> yes. So they can connect. My website is the most straightforward, com. That can be in the show notes. And I'm also perfectly connect on social media, whether that's Instagram or LinkedIn. My Instagram is at Patricia.Coselage. And all the links are in my link and bio. So they can book an Explore call with me. They can check out the podcast, which is called The Transitions Project by Patricia Kos- or with Patricia Koselage. It's on Spotify, Apple, Google, you know, all the major streaming platforms. And I always love DMs. So send me a message. Say hi. Oh yeah, we love DMs. <laughs>
0: and we can voice note you back. Maybe right. you'll get a famous voice note. <laughs> way of feedback, right? Oh, hi. How's it going?
1: How's it going?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. And let me know what you thought of this. We want to get feedback, right? I want to hear mm-hmm. what you think about what we're doing. If you have any questions, of course, send me or send Patricia a DM. And thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan.